You're listening to the Accordion to Me podcast with Veronique Medrano. Hi, I'm Veronique, and on this week's episode, we get to chat with Lalo Alcaraz, editorial cartoonist and the creator of the award-winning nationally syndicated daily comic strip, La Cucaracha. Lalo talks about the importance of art and activism, as well as his public fight with Disney, trademarking Dia de los Muertos, and eventually working as the cultural supervisor for Disney's animated film, Coco. As some of you know, early in 2020, I was in an accident. The consequences that you have to live with after can be a lot. You can lose your car, you can lose work and therefore money, and you can of course be super injured and have huge hospital bills to pay. No bueno. So if like me, you've been the victim of an accident, you need a professional to help you get the care you need. In case of an accident, you need a lawyer to protect your rights and your wallet And you don't have to look any further than that simple phrase by going to the URL incaseofanaccident.com for a free consultation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if the person that suffered the accident wasn't you, but maybe it was your tia or your abuelita or something, don't worry. Everyone at In Case of an Accident speaks Spanish. They can even take messages through WhatsApp at 888-990-0911. So if you or a loved one have suffered through a horrible car accident like me, visit the team at incaseofanaccident.com for more help. Just don't forget to tell them that Veronique Medrano from Accordion to Me sent you. You're listening to the Accordion to Me podcast with me, your host, Veronique Medrano. And on this week's episode, we get to chat with award-winning, nationally syndicated editorial cartoonist and the creator of said daily comic strip, La Cucaracha, Lalo Alcaraz. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for hunting me down. (laughs) I don't think I hunted. I think I stalked. (laughs) It's so funny that we're, that we're talking about that, like that, that, you know, I hunted you down because I don't know if you remember the first time I met you. Hmm. You, uh, where where was that? It was, was both like, of the times that I've met you Corpus. in person have been in the valley. Was it that in Corpus? No, it was at the university. So it was oh. at South Texas College. You oh, yeah. were talking about oh my god, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the show. It was on Fox. Border Town. Yes, Border Town. You were talking about Border Town. You had shown <laughs> a clip of one of the episodes. And I remember doing a live stream interview with you and then it would be like a year or two later before I would meet you again. And mind you, this was before the pandemic, like quite literally, like I think the pandemic happened soon after it was a a comic convention in Bronzeville, Texas at the Museum of Fine Arts. Um, And at that point you were, you were super famous. You were super, I mean, you were already famous, (laughs) but you were super, super famous. (laughs) <laughs> and we're going to get into that. I remember the good tacos oh. at that conference uh, around the corner. Oh. Yep. And then I remember from the South Texas College uh, yes. is that there were wild animals in the bathrooms. I think that's the same one. And there are these outdoors concrete bathrooms, right? And because uh, the whole campus is just buildings, you know, smaller buildings, not 
big, big, big buildings um, with lots of, um, you know, stories. But these uh, bathrooms, are, they had a warning. It's like, uh, we are in the desert and uh, we are in the valley and there are snakes that can <laughs> hanging out in the cool, cool bathrooms. So just be careful. <laughs> yes, be careful. You know, it's, you say that, but you know what? I have been to so many places that don't warn you about the animals. Um, <laughs> I went to a convention recently and I don't know why, you know how like you have your memories always like, oh, this is how I remember something. And then when you go back, you're like, this is different. For me, the memory of uh, South Texas Collectors Expo when I went about four years ago was not that there was a bunch of deer and javelina and all of that around the campus just by your car. I don't remember that. And so I was a special guest. This was literally a few weeks ago. I was a celebrity guest at the convention and I'm driving up every morning and leaving every night to these bucks. So mind you, the full antlers, just walking by the cars, javelinas and their whole families chilling out. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know how comfortable I feel. And it was hilarious because <laughs> the staff is straight up telling me, hey, careful, because you could get attacked by one of those two animals. And I don't remember Jeez. that warning before. <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. We need to uh, campaign for uh, warnings everywhere. Warnings of animals, because I, I don't want to hurt them, and I don't think they want to hurt me. So it's such an honor to have you here on the podcast as someone who I have read on the Sunday comic strip. And I, oh, I mean, I know it's a daily, but I guess as, as a kid, you always gravitate towards the Sunday comic strip because it's in color. So like all the comics are in color and, and, and you're and you're pretty much gravitated to that. And so I'm curious, what was the inspiration for La Cucaracha? Well, it's a short, long story. I mean, I did uh, I did this zine called Pocho Magazine back in the 80s and 90s when I was at Berkeley for graduate school. I did it with a, a guy named Esteban Zul. In those pages, I started drawing this cast of characters of uh, uh, this this kind of angry Chicano poet, Cucaracha, street poet, militant, his friends, Chato the Clown and Chonchi the, the, uh, the, the angry Chihuahua. And it just started drawing all these characters. And uh, the only one that really survived was Cuco Rocha, the, the, the Cucaracha character. And so he lived in the pages of, of, Pocho magazine and, and he was just a you know a way to get out kind of um, you know political jokes and things. The other characters were there for comic relief. Uh, and then one day the LA riots happened and I was living in LA and uh, soon after the editor of the LA Weekly gave me a chance to pitch a comic strip there and and, and that's where the first publication kind of in uh, outside of Pocho magazine. The strip was called L.A. Cucaracha. And I, it, it was a strip. It was a political cartoon strip. Bottom line, you know, like I love Doonesbury. I love Bloom County. Uh, and these are, you know, daily comic strips with lots of characters. And, and the characters just basically live the politics of the day. And that's what my simple concept for uh, La Cucaracha was, except I created this cast of 
basically 25 year olds that that uh, haven't aged <laughs> and uh, they uh, in the, this is a 20 year anniversary of my comic strip and they haven't this aged year? and yeah yeah 2020 wow. uh, the daily first launched in 2002 but previously I'd done this strip in the LA Weekly for 17 years, you know, a, a weekly comic, which evolved into editorial cartoons. And then when I got the daily strip in 2002, I channeled all the characters in, into that. But, you know, now I miss Chonchi, the, the Wonder Chihuahua. That was his name. And Chato the Clown. And I think he needs to make a reappearance. There's a there's a new trend of just popularity of the Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chihuahuas are something else. And I love I love watching the dog videos and finding out that dogs can talk and you know they use like those buttons or they actually say words and I, I didn't know all this stuff before the internet you know so uh, dogs are uh, hilarious but um, yeah I got, I should bring back those guys they're they're pretty obnoxious and funny I think we need to shake people by the shoulders right now yes especially with with everything that's happening and something that caught my attention as you were talking was that you called it LA Cucaracha. So was that the original name that it was the LA like not the but it was LA Cucaracha and not La Cucaracha like the way it is now? Yeah, yeah. And where did the name change come from? The change came from when it went daily I thought, uh, well, it has to be national, so I'm just going to make it La Cucaracha, and La Cucaracha is something everyone re- recognizes. So uh, Feels like a Loteria card. Yeah, I have yet to do Loteria cards. Uh, I've done it for everybody else, even, you know, the orange one. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Loteria oh, cards, yes. can I show you the image that I'm working on right now? Yes. This is, yes. This is a uh, world debut yeah. here. Uh, let's see if we can see on the strip. Can you tell who that is? That is. Oh my God. Namor. Namor. Uh, <laughs> Namor. enamorada con I él. see. Uh, Estoy enamorada <laughs> con Namor. <laughs> if you could see the waters, I'm starting to do the blue lines. Yeah, uh, and yeah, painted in the in the watercolor style of uh, of a loteria card, and see how it turns out. This can be my latest. My I love latest it. Piece. It's gorgeous. I'm so glad you showed it to me. I'm, I want one. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of comics and and you know the things that inspired you, I find it so empowering how you have really taken the Chicano spirit with you into every project that you've worked on. And what I mean by that is, is you really, you're very vocal about adequate and proper representation. And so I would like to talk about what led up to your involvement with Coco. And when I say led up, I also want to talk (laughs) about you, your, you're back and forth with Disney before you even got into the room with them, because that for me was something I followed. And I was in college at the time when I saw that going on. And I was just I was shocked and proud. And and it was it's one of those things that when you're 25, like you're saying, you know, there's these characters in La Cucaracha. When you're 25, things change with how you see yourself and how you engage with the world in comparison to 18. And so what really moved you to speak out against a company 
that big, that huge? Well, you know, I'd been doing it for a while. Thank you for noticing that I bring the Chicano attitude to everything I do. That's my thing. Wherever I'm at, it rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but I don't care. That's not important. The whole Disney thing, I mean, you can go back to back to those early days of the 90s when, um, you know, there was a thing along California called Proposition 187 that was an anti-Mexican immigrant law that they were using uh, to uh, scapegoat immigrants and to, to for politicians, you know, try to get reelected. Uh, specifically the governor, Pete Wilson. They call him Pito Wilson. Uh, and uh, he, uh, I can't believe there's a statue of him in uh, San Diego. I think they're trying to tear it down. But uh, I'm from San Diego originally on the border. Back then, Disney was trying to market their movies in Spanish. It was the first time they were like dubbing their movies and really probably pushing them to Latin America really big and and doing them here in the U.S. in Spanish. There were so many Spanish speakers. They also supported this guy, Pito Wilson, for governor, and he's doing this anti-Mexican immigrant thing. So I did a cartoon called Migra Mouse that attacked Disney for supporting both. Both They supported both you know, the Democrat and Republican in, in this race. Pete Wilson was a Republican. And so... You know, cartoonists love to make fun of Disney. It's like, uh, you know, because people always ask you, oh, are you going to work at Disney one day if you're a cartoonist? You know, it's like, uh, that's not what, you know, that's not the only place to work at. Although it's not a bad gig. But so flash forward again, Disney stepped in it again this time in, you know, around 2014 by trying to trademark the term Dia de los Muertos for as the title kind of for products. For this movie they were doing, which was at the time called Dia de los Muertos, the working title, but really eventually became known as Coco. You know, the whole community was up up in arms about this trademark thing. With very good yeah. reason, because it's it's this huge company that is it doesn't have a leader that is of color. You know, it doesn't have a, a Mexicano or a Latino at the head of its, you know, its its company. It's a white man. And so for somebody for, and for an organization to be like, ah, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to take this name and, and do that. I, I remember seeing it and thinking, this is strange. Like, this is a holiday. How can you trademark a Mexican, you know, Latino holiday? It felt very strange. And so when you came out, you know, very vocally against that and, you know, reading everything that you wrote. And it made it so clear why it was wrong. Because a lot of the times in situations like these with these big companies, we as people, we just the regular day-to-day people will hear it and go, you know, what does it matter? And I'm, yeah. I'm curious if you can speak on to why it matters. Yeah, that's my job as a kind of cartoonist and kind of commentator to and satirist. This the whole point behind my satire is to clear out all the extraneous stuff and show you what is really happening and hope that people understand it was wrong because, you know, some lawyer and this is eventually the truth. I found out uh, that that, yes, it was a, a lawyer there, uh, also not probably not a very diverse lawyer or diverse legal staff for Disney decided it was a good idea to trademark these things. And, you know, we found out only because this nerd who posts about trademark stuff, 
posted, oh, look, they're, they're, Disney's working on this movie and it's probably going to be called Dia de los Muertos because they just applied for a trademark and, you know, how cool. And, uh, and then everybody was like, what? And, uh, you know, cool. know, you never see uh, Disney try to trademark the term happy Hanukkah, you know, or, you know, happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Um, Merry Christmas. St. Patrick's Day. I mean, you're not going to see them do that. But what made them think that it would be okay to trademark the term of a holiday that was coming up from that's an ancient holiday, you know, not necessarily known by that name or that, you know, the traditions shift. But cultural appropriation is one thing. I mean, this might have been a really bad case of it. I don't mind sharing culture. You know, it's like Mexican culture is obviously an awesome world culture. It's recognized as a world culture, right? I mean, everybody loves the, 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 all the diversity within Mexico and all the food and the music and everything's like distinctive and awesome. But this is what, you know, people that Columbus things do is they come in and then they're like, Hey, I own Dia de los Muertos and uh, I invented it. You know, it's like, no, no, you can be a, you can be a fan you can enjoy it. You can even write things and create things with this, but don't own it. You don't own it. You know, you're not, you don't understand what it is like to do it. There's a difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. Yeah. very like, They sound similar, but they're, they're two different sentiments. And I, I agree with you completely. There's a very big difference. And when companies, huge companies that, you know, produce things for entertainment, decide that they want to own something, because that's ownership. Trademarking is a very, very legal and big way of saying I own it. And how have you engaged with trademark over the years? Yeah, you know, the interesting question, because... I've become, you know, an amateur attorney in in lots of these things, you know, because I have to understand, like, when people try to rip off my art and sell T-shirts or whatever and, you know, what to do and what my rights are, what my responsibilities are as an artist, too, you know, to, like, stand up and call out when somebody is trying to rip off your stuff. Now, you're in music, right? You know that music's an art form and you can borrow a riff and make it your own and that's... And you build on previous music. That's that's how that art form exists. I mean, that's, exactly. you know, it's just like human music. You know, you, you can't say you can't do music anymore because There's I'm only doing so music. Many chords. Yeah. <laughs> so many yeah. so chords, notes. You can't make up a new note. That's right. So. Uh, we have, you know, same same thing with art. You can, there's nothing new under the, under the sun, but you can make things your own, you know. Now, yeah, you, you have made a great point about uh, the, you know, when when a giant corporation steps in, they don't they don't know uh, how that bad that looks when they're trying to, um, you know, absorb this this holiday like nothing. Now, let me give you an example of how I dealt with it when. I eventually, and I don't want to jump ahead uh, too far, but I uh, probably will have to, the, the, you know, eventually a year after this whole incident went down and Disney withdrew the trademark application within, you know, it started on a Tuesday, 
by Thursday night, they had withdrawn the application because of the Good. uproar. You know, uh, I had drawn the cartoon Muerto Mouse. 10,000 people signed this petition. And uh, it was just like a, a big community-wide effort. And then um, by Friday, man, we, we won. You know, we, we couldn't believe it. We finally won a battle, right? A year later, uh, a, a friend of mine was is a consultant for Disney, and she was working on the aforementioned Coco movie and said, the executive producer wants to talk to you and see if you want to um, have a little discussion. I'm like, sure. And then uh, so I made them take me out for uh, martinis and steaks. And uh, I told them, I told them it was my birthday. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Was it your birthday? I'm assuming it wasn't. <laughs> it was the day before, you know, but I was like, it's still my okay. birthday. But, uh, so um, we sat down and talked about it. And I, and they said, we want to know if you want to join the consulting team on here. It's going to be three of us. And we're going to bring in a lot of other people to help out. And I was like, well, okay. I go, you know, my first thought was, the universe sure has a, a sick sense of humor, you know, like putting me in the middle of this. But also it was kind of the universe telling me like, dude, this is a chance of a lifetime to put your money where your mouth is and really affect this movie that is going to be a giant, you know, movie. It's going to be seen forever. You know, my my kids, my grandkids and the future grandkids will see it. So I was like, all right, I, I, I entertained the thought and, and I interviewed them and told them, you know, you're not going to do this, this and that. And uh, are you going to listen to me? Are you going to have brown facing? You know, are you going to have white actors play the Latino characters? Because that's a no go. You know, I can't put my name on something like that. And they're like, absolutely not. We will not. And so uh, they were true to their word and they were already doing great work on it. You know, they, they had gone down to Mexico I missed that tour, man. They went down for like three months or something to like southern Mexico, all over. Uh, yeah, I, I I wish they had called me earlier, but um, <laughs> it was mostly the art department, you know, and the story department got to go down there. I I love the fact that you're saying that you interviewed them, so you were you were very much in control within this interview process, did they tell you that they were aware of your involvement with the trademarking situation? Oh, oh yeah. It was, you know, I had done car cartoons that, that people at Disney have seen, you know, I like, I had an executive assistant for like a top CEO person of, of Disney approach me to try to buy a cartoon that I did, but they wanted to buy all the rights to it. And I said, nah, I don't need money that bad. I mean, they're going to pay me a thousand bucks like like that. This is like 20 years ago. And this is a different cartoon I did about uh, one of the Disney CEOs. They, they, they know who I am. And now I've, you know, ended up working for them. So they really know who I am. But yeah, they uh, my no notorious reputation preceded me for sure. They knew who I was. And I was like, you know, I'm not I'm not 25 anymore. I'm mature and I know how to work with people and I'll be happy to work on this. But, yeah, you can't you can't do ABC and, and you know, just rubber stamp, have my name as a rubber stamp or as an insurance policy on this. You know, there's still conversations about how certain things were were discussed within the movie but at the end of the day, like there, there are certain scenes that people still complain about, like not every project is going to be a perfect piece of work, 
that you're gonna be like, ah, oh, like yeah. they're, they're not gonna offend anyone um, because yeah. that's just not gonna happen. But the few things that I've noticed that people discuss, I still think this could have been worse had <laughs> had, had cultural <laughs> advisors not been involved as they'd been because I do remember at the convention in Bronzeville at the Museum of Fine Arts where you were discussing how there were certain things that even though you were you weren't brought on like right at the beginning of of cultural advising but at the point that you'd been brought on that were just wild that there were things that you were like absolutely not that is not something that's (laughs) going to fly and I don't know if you can you can kind of walk us through that Wow. Well, you know, people don't realize like this movie took over six years to make. Right. So and previously people have been trying to make a Dia de los Muertos movie for decades in Hollywood, an animated one. And I I even with my old writing partner, we even went to go pitch one at Sony, like in the 90s or something. And they told us. Yeah. And Hollywood, you know. Typical Hollywood, the ladies that interviewed us for this, they were in charge of Sony Animation. They were like, um, okay, great. Go, you guys go back. Uh, you know, they showed us what they like about Dia de los Muertos. And like, go go back and uh, write us up a pitch about Dia de los Muertos. Uh, but just leave, leave the death out of it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, ma'am, ma'am, it's in the name. Ma'am, do, do I need to pull out Google Translate, ma'am? <laughs> oh, my God. So that's somebody right there that, you know, does not get the concept. So, yeah, it could have been much, much worse. It could have I been. mean, we, what's interesting to note, like what, what's interesting to point out for this particular period of time <laughs> is that you're right. There was not just one Dia de los Muertos movie out because a year prior we had, or a year or two prior, we had the Book of Life release. Book of Life my, by my friend Jorge Gutierrez. And he love had Jorge. his take on it, right? His yeah. take was all action and love story and and with the great mythology behind it and his insane and design. He had his, his own take and it was great. And I helped try to promote that because I knew that Coco was coming down the line. I'm like, <laughs> this had, Jorge will, like, when I was working on Border Town, uh, uh, and whenever I work on a Latino project, which is all of them, uh, he he will message me and say, "Don't f it up, or else they'll never let us do another Mexican project again." <laughs> Bien rápido que está ahí. <laughs> no, no, no te lo chingas. No me yeah. los chingas. <laughs> you know what's it like having that community? Because I have heard from David Bowles. I've seen online, you know, your relationship with with Jorge. And now I think there's just seeing that as as someone that's my age, seeing you, Jorge, David, and and so many others um, be part, like, it's like there's a little community. There's a Latino Mexican community in animation and in production now that I don't think that there was before. And how do you feel it was when you started to now what you have and what people can see. Yeah, it's great to, you know, the more the merrier. I mean, there's, and there's a generation of, of young people coming up that are the people doing, you know, interning or they're working in the art departments everywhere. And like when I worked on, um, still kind of working on the Casa Grandes, we got canceled, but still working on 
big project for them. And, uh, you know, that we had the best, uh, most diverse crew in Hollywood. And that's because, you know, the one of the showrunners is, is Miguel Puga, the creator of the show. He in, insisted on hiring the, the most diverse crew. We have Chicanos, Mexicanos, Filipinos, Asians. You know, animation is not super diverse at all. But we had as many people as we could get. You know, that makes a difference. That's like 70 people, you know. It was nice to see. I know they're, and we had in the writers, they, they tried to recruit. But, you know, I kept yanking on their legs to recruit more. But um, the few that were there, man, we were pocos pero locos. You know, we were, uh, <laughs> we're, all, we're all off doing other things, but working in animation and, and TV and film. And uh, it's nice, you know, I'm going to call on all of them in the in the future. And I've called on a couple, you know, already. But yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, it's great. And to know that Jorge is there, I can call for advice. And Miguel, you know, uh, I made Miguel do a tribute video when I got my Maldef award. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not going to make Jorge do it. I'm going to make him do it. <laughs> Praise me. Praise me. <laughs> you always call me to tell me not to mess it up. Now praise me, dang it. <laughs> now you're talking about um, your, you know, you're a writer, a producer, and a cultural consultant. So I'm going to break it down for some people who don't realize that you're not just a cartoonist. You have worked for film, TV, and animation on more than just Coco. You have worked on as a cultural consultant and consulting producer and writer on the Casa Grandes, which is for uh, which was for Nickelodeon Animation. You've worked on um, oh my god, Border Town and and a few others. Is there any others that that you've worked on that maybe I, I wasn't able to find that that you that you have in your pocket? I've ended up being the cultural consultant for like every every show that has a, a Latino scene. On Nickelodeon, <laughs> so I, I worked on, you know, worked for Rugrats, Monster High, Big Nate. Wow. Uh, the Loud House is the show that uh, spun off the Casa Grandes, so we're still doing yes. spin-off uh, episodes, you know, uh, crossover episodes with them, even though the our show's over. But um, and this other massive project, and I'm going to be rewriting a movie, an indie animated movie soon. That's going to be fun. Converting a live action movie script into animation. Wow. So I'm like, that's exciting. Yeah. It's a, it's, I was like, I want to do that so bad. This is a challenge. I know you can't tell me what it is yet till, till your agents tell you, you can <laughs> say it, but yeah, I can't say that's it amazing <laughs> when it comes to the process of, because a lot of the times they take animation and they put it into live action and it gets a lot of flack. Like the, the industry gets a lot of flack for doing that. And so yeah. what does it feel like doing the reverse? Yeah, no, I, I to me, I just think like this is a way for the script to live because it's not a produced script, but it's logically it's it, it's it should be an animation. And, and you can, you know, and animation you is harder than live action because you could do anything that you want. Anything you can draw is, uh, you know, a little more possible. I mean, yeah, you could chain Tom Cruise to a plane and make it look like he's <laughs> grabbing onto a plane. All right. But, you know, in animation, you could do anything. So um, I think this project in animation, is, is you good. can make Tom Cruise a plane. 
Like you can make him yeah. into a plane. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's my next project is Tom Cruise. It's called Cruise Control. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> so cruising at 40,000 feet. No. Uh, so, uh, and, and then I've worked on video game for Xbox called uh, Forza Horizon 5, which is like a driving game, which is set in Mexico. So I got to be cultural consultant and a writer for that. And now we're doing another wow. thing that I definitely cannot talk about, but for that uh, same <laughs> I'm <point>. sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I get to write some new characters and stuff in, into that. And um, uh, this is like when I worked on Coco, I didn't know that they were going to translate into 54 languages because I'm an idiot. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah Disney. <laughs> right. And it made more money in China than it did in the U.S., right? And, and people loved it over there. They related to the whole ancestor kind of thing. And this video game won the British, like, Oscars for video games, for oh. best game. I actually, I was up in Seattle recently, and I toured Xbox uh, and uh, Microsoft. And I just want to say that Microsoft has too much power in the world. It uh, could be its own world government. It's scary. Wow. <laughs> they have their own mall. After you know? <laughs> you know, it's you say that, but you know, I have seen um, more and more corporate companies that are at that size. That um, yeah. I, I've worked for some, you know, in my early age. That yeah, they have their own. They have their own doctor. They have their own like their own daycare center, like everything is, is located within it. And so when we're talking about like, especially in this era where more and more people are trying to separate work and home life, it's like they, they provide all of these amenities to remove that. So you're constantly at work, which is crazy. It, it's a little yeah. much. I mean, you could tell why they do it it's because not. of course it's just, they want to, they want to close that gap. Stay here and work, right? That's what. Stay here you know, and work. So, you have a mall. Yeah. You don't have to go to the actual mall. We have a mall. I, I told my host that that invited me. I said, "Do you pay in in Microsoft bucks or what? How do you pay for stuff here?" At the mall? <laughs> I mean, they have a T-Mobile. They have it the whole town. Red, Redmond, Washington is like the whole company town. You know, like everybody lives there. They go down the street to the Microsoft campus and. And, and this is just the, it's the tip of the iceberg. And so, but um, I don't know. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, uh, the the whole gaming thing is like an exciting thing for me because I never really did gaming. And I know that it's so huge. I'm curious if they ever told you what the exchange rate was for Microsoft bucks to dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, no, they didn't. But uh, I, I said, my friend said, you can load up your 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 uh, ID card. You can load it up with money, and so it's kind of Microsoft bucks, you know. So. I, yeah, that's what it sounds like. You pretty much have your that's your ID crazy. works as a credit card or a debit card. Too I think back a debit card. Yeah, yeah. You know that little emoji of the wallet with the wings on it just flying away? Well, that's me right now. I'm the advertiser. This is an ad for me, Veronique Medrano. Go listen to my music. I have a bunch of it. 
this isn't a joke. Go listen to my music on your favorite streaming platform. New songs out now are Malojo featuring El Dusty and DJ Kane and Mezcal Maria featuring Beatriz Gonzalez. Or if you're in the holiday mood, check out Ya Viene Navidad and Peces en el Rio while you drink that extra glass of ponche that will give you cruda tomorrow. Or you can buy a physical CD. Are those still a thing? Okay, I'm being told they are. So go to my website, veroniquemedrano.com, to go get one now. And listen to it at your mom's house, because I'm sure she has a CD player. This has been your paid ad read. You've worked for Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney, Fox, Xbox, like you said. And I'm really curious, you know, for those who are really wanting to get into animation and get into this very corporate field, because it doesn't matter whether you're writing books or you're in the space is, you know, what is the the environment like? You know, what is something, the wisdom that you would impart to people who want to get into this business and are kind of just very green? And what should they know yeah. going into it? I mean, you know, it's like what I tell people when, they hit me up. Uh, they go, hey, Holmes, I have a funny voice. Hook me up with a voice acting job. And I'm like, okay, let's break this down. Voice acting. Do you act? No, I have a funny voice, though. <laughs> like, well, voice acting is acting. You know, it's like you got to know how to adjust and deliver a line and have emotion. It's acting. And then you, you can have a funny voice or you know, know how to manipulate. That's it's it's important in that order, like acting and then the voice. Uh, so um, it's the same thing for any career, really. And you know, I got hit up by for my knowledge about the other day. Somebody called me deeply knowledgeable. I'm like, I got weirded out. I'm like, I don't feel deeply knowledgeable. <laughs> I didn't go to school to be deeply knowledgeable, but I do have a lot of experience and I do have, I'm, I'm, you know, I know what audiences like kind of, I know what they want to um, see. What, yeah. Yeah. I know what, what us Latinos hear when you say a certain thing. And I know what white people hear when you say a certain thing and that, you know, and I can, suggest alternatives and because I, I perform and I write comedy. And so it's, a, I got a unique gig going here. So, but so what applies is just get out there and, and get experience, you know, and you, you can't get experience by sitting on Twitter all day or Instagram. But we have so much fun, Lalo. You <laughs> have so much fun on Twitter. What are you so talking about? So hypocritical right now. We're the nephews of Twitter. <laughs> you and I are the hypocrites. We try to leave I, and it brings us I, right back. <laughs> I love Twitter so much. I'm so sad what's happening to it. but um. It's sad, but it's going to be interesting what happens here in the next few months because they said weeks and we're still on it. We're like on the Titanic. We're, we're the band that's playing <laughs> while everyone leaves. We're like, well, no, nah. especially, especially me. I'm like, thing is broken. Have you seen our electric grid here in Texas? We're still here. <laughs> I'm gonna send. You, I'm gonna send you a tweet, and you're gonna get it uh, like a week later. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> I don't even know if you got my message this morning. I don't even know. <laughs> no, that's just me. I, I don't check every every DM I get uh, all the time. I know. Not... All jokes aside, you say you're not deeply knowledgeable, but 
I would like to challenge that because you got your education as an architect. How did you go from architect to <laughs> nationally renowned, awarded comic strip artist? Where did that happen? Always an artist. My skills to when I studied architecture, but it just didn't pan out. You know, I, I tried it for a little bit, but my artistic career was taken off. So it just happened. You know, I'm like, uh, I'm not a big planner, you know. I need to live like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible. I love to plan. Like I feel like that's gonna save me. And you know what, Lalo, you have you have proven to me that all of my planning is for shit. Because like, what is the point? Um, just live by the seat of my tortilla. Like that's yeah. what I gotta do. The universe has has plans for you. So uh, sometimes it's. Inutile to play, <laughs> but like I, I know I gave a I gave a, a couple of commencement speeches, and I think both times, uh, I think I, I think both were at Berkeley. I was like, you know what, kids, let life wash over you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna look that up. I love the fact that you, instead of going the route that was expected, because. As an architect, I'm sure that's like that's stable money in a sense. You're you're getting you're getting a degree in a job that would be considered stable, and instead yeah. said, "Nah, I'm gonna go right. I'm getting all of this work. Things are going great. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna go where life is taking me." Because when I was in the same situation, I've actually been in the same situation three times, where instead of following the current. I was so determined that I needed to make money for my family that I just stuck to the day job and stuck to the day job and stuck to the day job until finally I ventured out. And now I'm doing my music and my art and, and all of this full time. And so I recently got my degree uh, at UNT, University of North Texas, uh, for archiving and preservation with a focus in, in preserving the work of Latinos and Mexicanos impact in, in music and the arts, because it's something that's so, you were, you were saying something earlier about the fact that like, and it brought it to my mind about the fact that like, you know, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then there's so few of us, we all know each other. And yeah. it's, it's even less in the museum space. Like the fact that you're talking at museums makes me so happy because it tells me that programmers in that area are programming with a person of color in mind instead of the same gringo, instead of the same bolillo. Yeah, yeah okay, they have the same things, but how do you feel about the museum space? Because you've been, you've been talking at schools and museums. How do you feel that that's changed over the last few years? Well, let me just say that I really like uh, the term bolillo, and it's not used enough. Um, but uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I, I actually it's funny you say that because I just had this conversation with one of the producers, of Nickelodeon of Casa Grandes, that you know we're not working together anymore. Called me up out of the blue and said, "Hey, I have a, he's this gay white guy, and he's like my good friend who was my prom date in high school." is now the curator for the Boston Fine Art Museum. And she's a super fan and she wants, she's coming out to LA and she wants to meet you. And I'm like, 
sounds good. Let's hang out. You know, and she was like totally cool, brilliant person, hilarious. And uh, we talked about this issue about this new generation of curators and archivists and people that are getting it, you know, and they're doing the job that should always have have been done that way of, you know, having a diverse mindset. I mean, not putting down librarians. They're awesome. Archivists are awesome. People that work in all those fields, museums, they're already that way. But when you have a person like directly that is from the the background that you want preserved, you understand it better than anybody that learned it out of a book. You know, sorry. Yes. Nothing to be sorry about because I went to school for it and I didn't expect to even get into the university. I, I applied to a university that's considered one of the top three or one of the top ones in the state for yeah. library sciences and, and archiving and preservation. But I went in there very lalo. I went in there very lalo because they, they straight up make you write a whole, they make you write an essay of why you should be accepted into the school. And I pulled a lalo and I said, you know what? I'm going to let them know how necia I am at the start. Because when I start turning in these papers, when I start having these conversations with the professors, I don't need yeah. pushback. I need support. Yeah. And so I said, you know, this I am going in here not to preserve uh, to preserve nothing more than this. This is what I'm coming in here for, to make adequate representation for people of color, for Mexicanos and Latinos in literature yeah. and the arts and, you know, in, in any way that I can. And they accepted me tan locos. They accepted <laughs> me. I, I got I got the degree. And it's been a tool that I have used to add to who I am as an artist, because you're right. Yeah. A lot like less than 2% of the people who are program directors for these major museums are people who are part of that culture. And yeah. some of it's financial issue. Some of it is because it's not cheap. It's not cheap to get these degrees and I'm sorry, but yesterday's price is not today's price. Today's price, I got a degree. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, it's just not it. And, and so it just, it makes me happy that, you know, these conversations are happening. I related a lot to my music. I related a lot to the art that I do. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. A lot of these things, like we have to wear so many hats. We have to be so many things. Yeah. And I'm curious as to how you feel having to wear so many hats as a creative oh, well, in this field. I'm I'm naturally multitasker way more than I should be, you know. And uh, well, one of my I have a friend in Norway, thanks to Twitter, and he was like a Chicano <laughs> living out there in Norway. He's an artist, and he's like, "How do you?" He's like, "No wonder you're you look kind of." tired and slumped over man how do you carry all this stuff? i'm like i don't feel like i'm carrying the weight of the world man i just carry i think i carry a lot and i want everybody to carry a lot you know because we all you know lighten the load up for 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 people that don't do this regularly you know that's what we're doing and uh so i don't know i'm not i don't feel bad about it i i like it i like having an eclectic kind of uh style and eclectic uh 
mentality for all my work. I, I, I do, even though people think, oh no, this guy's the Pancho Villa of cartoons or something. And it's like, no, <laughs> not even, not even, not even. Just well, a little bit, just a little bit, a little, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I, I always wonder. And sometimes I think to myself in the same way, like I, yes, I'm tired. I'm not I, like, those are things I'm not going to deny. Yes. I'm exhausted. Yes, I feel like, hey, you know what? I would love for someone else to be an ally and lighten yeah. the load for me. Let me yeah. not have to do everything because that would be wonderful. But yeah. unfortunately, and fortunately, at the same time, I get to be that person that gets to do it both. It just depends yeah. on the day, whether I feel it's a fortunate situation or an unfortunate <laughs> situation. And you have been in this industry for quite some time and have seen all of the changes, you know, yeah. where do you see this industry going next? First of all, I'd like to say I would love it for an ally in a, a major philanthropic, uh, philanthropic uh, situation to give me a massive grant. So I don't have to worry about my bills. Just putting that out there to the universe. I've been, I've been manifesting things for a little bit. Lately. I was about to say, start manifesting for me, Lalo, because your manifesting magic. is 10 times better than mine. <laughs> I got magic coming out of my fingers, let me tell you. Really? But um, uh, I already forgot the question. I was so into my manifestation of, uh, what was the question again? How you want a philanthropic person <laughs> to come. <laughs> no, that was my request. What was uh, the question you were saying? The future, uh, the, the future that oh, you see for this industry in, in animation and, and in art. Because we're, we're seeing these things happen like in, in real time, you know, AI art and, and corporate companies trying to push that, which in essence is pushing out the human in the art of art and all of these yeah, things. So where so, do you see it going? I mean, famous last words. Uh, I don't think that will ever like replace people. I just think that I have I, I'm hopeful because, you know, for years, I've noticed when uh, young people come up and ask me questions about art and they want to show me their portfolios, they whip out their phones, show me their Instagram account. I'm like, you know what? That's kind of cool progress. You have your whole portfolio right here. And that's cool. You know, and we get to see each other's work. I think I've grown so much as an artist by getting to see other people's work and uh, on a daily basis, you know, and a giant quantity of it. And I get so inspired. So I'm hopeful that we're all feeding off each other and we're creating really great things we've never seen before. I also enjoy seeing young artists doing stuff that recalls, you know, art from 30 years ago. And I'm thinking of this one young woman specifically that does like this kind of airbrush kind of prison art looking portraits of cholas and stuff. And she's like 20 something. And I just, you know, her name is uh, ass pie. Okay. The, I didn't, in, I didn't write that, <laughs> but her, her handle on her handle on Instagram is ass pie. And there's lots of artists, young artists that are doing all this cool stuff that I can relate to. Cause I love that, that art. Um, but uh, so I have hope that, you know, we're not forgetting our roots and we're looking back and enriching our, our present with the past visions and stuff. So I, I'm hopeful because we have all this access, but you know, on the other hand, the internet makes you stupid. You know, we got a problem with misinformation and we got 
and conspiracy theories and all that. And that that's part of the work I'm doing now is fighting misinformation uh, again, about COVID, about politics. And that's going to be a big thing that we have to fight. Uh, but I'm pretty hopeful for all, all, you know, the, for entertainment and art. I mean, and, and you can't deny that there's so many more of us now that are, uh, you know, getting into the field. So the, the, something's got to break, you know, something's got to mm-hmm. go our way as a community. Yeah. It, it's got to shift, you know, and we have, we have to get the power, you know, we have to be the people in behind the, the behind the desk, you know, the ones that green light these our projects and things. And so there's, I never thought I'd see any of this in my lifetime. So, you know, we're doing pretty good. We're not bad. Yay. And <laughs> just to to wrap up this just absolutely wonderful conversation that we've had together. I love talking about art and stuff. I know. <laughs> I mean, I could go on. I could go on about the Pocho Hour of Power and and just that that audio journey that you're going through and, and the website and <laughs> And there's so many things, as we said, there's so many facets of you as an artist, because you truly are an artist in, in the term. You're not just a, a you know, a, a person who creates cartoons. You, you create in so many different mediums. And so I guess I would love to hear as we wrap this up, what is something that you would like to impart uh, about life? accordion to you accordion to me yeah i love that lately i've been you know a little tired and i've been wanting to slow down and goof off and i find that i have not been able to so uh but i knew i will hopefully and and find a little quiet time during the holidays to just read comic books and uh play video games you know that's all i want to do but i didn't get a chance to go to la we're gonna we're gonna go we're going to go and we're going to go. You're going to show me all the good taco places. We're going to go on a taco tour. We're going to have a good time when I go to L.A. How about that? Oh, my God. That sounds great. <laughs> my cousin has an arcade bar and I have not gone there yet. Oh, my and God. She's got it in North Hollywood by kind of by KPFK. So Ooh. Uh, yeah, maybe that's a good. That would be a fun place to go. But, I'm going uh, to give you a call. I'm going to give you a call. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, wanna, I would just say, you know, friendly advice, two cents is, uh, you know, try to enjoy life. Don't goof off too much when you're young. I mean, I know that, you know, the, the sentiment is have fun while you're young. Well, yes, have fun, but also build, you know, make, you know, like so you can have something. That's what I did is I. I've drawn so many cartoons, I lost track. I mean, I've drawn 10,000 cartoons maybe in my life. and uh, But I've been drawing since, you know, since I was in, in a teenager, you know. And that's how you build a legacy. You build a career by doing a thing and getting to know it and inside out. And then one day you'll be uh, consulting on uh, things, you know, in the future and whatever. So just don't forget to work hard. Play hard, work hard. So play hard and work hard. Yeah, that is yeah. that is life accordion to Lalo. <laughs> and above else, work for yourself. You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lalo, for just gracing us with your presence and your energy and your fire here on the Accordion to Me podcast. And as always, everyone, play hard, 
work hard, puro amor, puro besos, puro Tex-Mex. Bye. Mwah. Mwah. Thank you for listening to Accordion to Me. The team behind this week's episode includes mixing and editing by Juan Pablo Diaz, theme music by Rodrigo Montalvo, produced by Javi G from MD Media. In-person recordings were done at the Potify Studios and remotely through Riverside FM. Accordion to Me is distributed through Anchor, and you can stream Accordion to Me wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host and executive producer, Veronique Medrano. Puro amor, puro besos, puro texto.